Hello and welcome to episode three of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. And reminding you, as always, the Federation is the best point of contact for people requiring advice and guidance for their thoroughbred racing and breeding operations. And today I'm joined by two members of the FBAA who can provide you with that guidance and that professionalism and everything else that we need to go and buy a very, very good racehorse. Suman Hedge from Suman Hedge Bloodstock and Damon Gabbity from Belmont Bloodstock. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Mick. Morning, Shark. Yeah, I can tell it's the morning because you're both a bit flat and bloodstock agents, as a rule, tend to sleep in a little bit. You know, you're not like trainers and jockeys. You don't have to be there at track work. That'd be correct, wouldn't it? You're just sort of lazy mornings for you two? Well, absolutely correct. But since I've got a dog, I'm up early walking the dog around the botanical garden, so I'm getting closer to becoming a horse trainer. And looking very fit too, I will say, Damon. Thank you, Shark. (laughs) Sermon, tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, we hear a lot of Bercher and links to Zoo Star and Written Tycoon and these sort of horses when they when they're having great success. But tell us a little bit, you know, the, the elevator pitch of of Suman Hedge Bloodstock. Where did you start? Uh, what was your first big success? Drop some names on us. I, I started uh, about twenty years ago um, with uh, John O'Shea. I um, was his racing manager, and first few years um, I spent a lot of time with him, going to yearling sales and <clears throat> learning a little bit more about. Uh, physiques and types and um, getting an understanding of the commercial area and then um, worked in Stallion Brokerage with Sharif Iskander and um, moved on into syndication um, briefly and uh, also um, Matcham Genetics. So I've had a, a fairly broad background um, and yeah, started my own company about three years ago um, and yeah, we've had some good success with, with pin hooking in particular um, and also a couple of horses that we've bought. Um, and over the journey, yeah, horses like Zoo Star's probably been um, a highlight for me. It'll probably be my legacy horse um, when I finish up, um, and hopefully we can find another one. We might talk about Sharif Iskander and Written Tycoon and the, the recent news about it a little bit later on, but what about you, Damon? You've been in this game for a long time, a lot of success. You've got the ears of a number of influential breeders around Australia. What's the background for Belmont Bloodstock? Well, thanks, Shark. Um, Henry Field pointed out to me the other day that I'm the elder statesman of bloodstock agents now, which I'm not quite sure is a title I'm ready to um, embrace. Um, But I'm a Western Australian boy, uh, brought up going to the races every Saturday, loved uh, racing and breeding. I've been going to the Perth Yearling Sale since I was about 10 years old. Uh, Got a job at a place called Goodwood Bloodstock, which is now Magic Millions in Perth, where we did the pedigrees. We actually wrote the catalogue by hand computers weren't existing then so we had all the stud books and the race results books simon vivian from english taught me pedigrees so i did that for five years so that was a fantastic background and then uh, moved into partnership with a lady called debbie evans who started belmont bloodstock she was a bookmaker's daughter in perth who's really taught me the commercial side of business and i was with her for about nine or ten years and moved to melbourne 23 years ago where i took over Belmont Bloodstock by myself and moved to the big smoke of Victoria, which I've got to say is the best thing I've ever done. Oh, very good. Glad to hear it. And uh, you're complaining about Melbourne traffic, so that's good. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a true Melbournian now. Absolutely. Yeah, that 10-minute drive across town must have been a kill, killer for you today. <laughs> nightmare today, nightmare. <laughs> uh, there's been a bit going on since the last podcast with uh, Damien Lenny Russo. Obviously, Easter has been and gone. Uh, bulk million-dollar lots, a $2.5 million schnitzel. Cult from Rising Romance, the second foal from that Oaks winner. 
uh, bought by Team Hawks and, and Rupert Lee, I think took a large chunk of it talking about Melburnians. Uh, you both bought at that sale. Suman, you sold as well. Uh, how did you both see it? Suman, I'll start from you, perhaps from a seller's point of view, as much as anything else. Uh, and we'll get into your pin hooking in a moment. How did you find it? Obviously, a, a buoyant sale. You would have been high-fiving walking in yeah. <laughs> with, with such a nice horse to sell. Yeah, look, it just continued the trend um, that we've seen all year that the yearling sales have been incredibly strong. Uh, there's a there's a lot of depth of buyers there and a lot of competition, which is really healthy. Um, from a, as, as a seller, uh, it was tremendous. Uh, we had a client sell uh, a Zoo Star Colt, which was um, one that he bred and it sold for half a million dollars. So they were over the moon with that result. And um, I had a a foal share result with Kiora, which was quite good. So, um, yeah, it was, you look at it from two sides when you're on that part of it with your clients and with your own interests, you're, you're ecstatic about the sales, um, being so strong, uh, as a buyer, it's quite challenging because you have so much competition and, um, the prices are high. So, you know, you still got to have your discipline, um, and go to your, your levels and, um, we were buying, I was buying predominantly for the Rosemont um, Stallion Alliance. Um, and um, yeah, all through the year, we had all these different groups trying to um, procure cults from the sales. So um, it was very, very tough, but we were really, really happy with what we ended up with. And English did a fantastic job. They assembled a great catalogue. It had a lot of depth and there weren't any too many flat spots in it. And I think you could see that by the results. Damon, we're riding a really positive wave at the moment. The yearling sales, every sale, oh, it's up again, it's going strong, everything else. How do you advise your clients to sort of future-proof themselves in case there's a bit of a correction? So I'm not saying there will be one next year or the year after, but things are going great now. Do you have that conversation with them? Absolutely. It's very important when I do a lot of matings for people's broodmares. So when we're mating mares this season, we are trying to predict what the market's going to be like in three years' time when that yearling is going to be sold. So service fees are going up and are high. So you have to have a bit of a conservative approach in case there is a little bit of a downturn in the market because you know, whilst it continues to go up and up and up, you know, some smart people think there might be a correction coming. So we hope that's a long way away, but you do have to be conservative along the way, I believe. On those service fee announcements, how do you wade through them all? You know, every stud seems to go within a fortnight of each other. Yeah, horses like capitalists that have increased quite a bit, you know, deep field likewise. There's, there's horses that have had a, a, a big uptick. Some have doubled in their fees from last year. Where do you find value and at what point do you start to, to look at those announcements and think, you know what, I think this is too much for this horse. I think this is great value for this horse. Do you, do you start now or is that in another month or so? No, we started probably in uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, starting to look at the different stallions that would be retired coming onto the first season sire list and what the proven stallions might be going to uh, in service fee announcements. So... You really have to do a lot of work wading through what you're going to breed to, but you have to ask yourself the question, are you breeding to breed winners or are you breeding commercially for the yearling sale market? Because there's a big difference in that. Okay. Take us through that. And you, you've Part of your role is as a booking agent for, for, for stallions and whatnot. How does that work? And how do you arrive at that end result conversation with clients? 
Well, yeah, I do a lot of uh, stallion bookings per year, so that works with... How many would you do, roughly? A couple of hundred, wow. 200. Um, so, you know, you work with your clients, and I think it's very important to match the physical compatibility of the stallion and the mare. That's the most important thing. So I spend a lot of time going to the farms, looking at the mares, seeing their pro- previous progeny, so you you are getting a history of what the mare produces because the mare might produce something that looks like her every year, something that looks like the stallion she goes to, or something completely different. So you have to sort of know your mare, and then you have to learn about the stallion and match them physically together so to offset faults and enhance attributes. Um, so... That takes a lot of work. And then it comes down to, like I said, balancing commercial success in the sale ring and breeding winners on the track, which is ultimately the most important thing, in my opinion. There's a lot to think about. And I don't think it's as clear-cut sooner as just, you've got a nice mare, let's just send it to the most expensive stallion. You can, you can often sort of spend too much money trying to get a result or chasing a result that's that's not really there. When it comes to pin hooking and, and looking at, Weanling stock that people have bred. How do you identify value and say, well, you know, this is a, a great mating and a, and a nice foal that I think can improve and make a result? I think from a pin hooking point of view, that it's a similar type of mentality um, when you're buying yearlings. You're, you're looking at um, horses that are athletically gifted. They're they're, they're elite um, in their their movement, um, in the in the way that they appear. Um, but you're also as a pin hooker because you're on trading you're trying to um, consider who's likely to be on that horse, who's likely to be interested. So you want market competition. So we don't try to be too cute with that and try to turn um, mud into gold. Um, We look at commercial stallions. We look at um, horses that have enough within their pedigree to um, be appealing to trainers. And physically, we look for all the same components we look for in yearlings in their movement and athleticism. So... We're trying to buy horses um, that are going to appeal to a range of different buyers um, and then therefore we'll, we should get competition and that should drive the price up and um, that's where we've had the most success where we've gotten a little bit um, you know gone for second season stallions unproven horses that's where we've been punished a little bit so that's part of been part of our learning. Um, so now we, we tend to stick more to the Provens or first season stallions that don't have any convictions. So does the service fee conversation come into consideration for you? We've, we've got weanling sales and, and not, what, <clears throat> effectively breeding stock sales coming up with mares as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you look at those service fee announcements and think, well, here's a, a written tycoon weanling. I know what the fee's going to be. There's going to be some some fat here for us to play with? Um, I, I guess to a, a point we're looking more for uh, potential of stallions. So, for example, last year we did go for a second season uh, extreme choice and that was based on the yearlings that we'd seen. Uh, where there was a consistent group of nice yearlings from extreme choice and there was a lot of com- competition from trainers trying to buy them and people that we perceive as good judges like the horse we knew that there was a critical shortage of them because of his fertility so there was only going to be a finite group of them available for market so from a supply and demand point of view that was appealing um, and again that that influenced influenced us to be quite aggressive on that purchase um, with the service fees though they can sometimes dictate what reserves are um, for a weanling so because people have invested x amount 
into a service fee. So that can drive what they're looking for as a reserve. Um, but I think we're, just as I would give the advice to my clients, is you're trying to position yourself in the top 25% of a sale. So it might not necessarily be that you're looking to go to Easter or um, Magic Millions January um, as your goal. But wherever you place your horse, you want to try to be in that top quartile because that's where the most return is. And, and that's what we're trying to do with our weanlings. The service fee really um, for pin hooking is irrelevant. The most important thing for pin hooking is the individual in front of you, the weanling that you're looking at. Mm. Not The service fee of that weanling determines, the, like Suman said, the reserve and the cost. But it's sort of a bit irrelevant to the the end equation, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Damon, how do you... I, I can I can see how that review process would work for Suman with pin hooking. You know, you buy them, you look back, and as you were saying, got got a little bit hit by the second season size at time. How, what's your review process look like for a mating? So you send a mare to a stallion. Is it as soon as a foal's born, you go and have a look and think, mm, we've buggered this one up, or, wow, we got it right, look at this beautiful foal? Absolutely. It's very important. And, and sometimes the there's so many curveballs in this industry where a mare can be a consistent producer and have three ripping sorts and then the fourth one is horrible a big gangly awful thing so they always throw you a little swerve ball as i call it along the way but um yeah so you go and review what the foals look like and see how they develop and one of the hard things as suman would agree when you're buying a weanling is how they will then grow on and develop because you might see a beautiful, magnificent weanling, but by the time it gets to a yearling, it's sort of gone the wrong way and you think, oh, where did that go wrong? So, you know, but that's also traits of stallions and mares. Some mares, you know, foals improve with age and stallions get a bit better with maturity. So it's a combination of the above. I think that's where... um uh, you, re- you really get value in using um, people with knowledge. Um, like Damon, I don't know too many people that have more knowledge of um, broodmares and, and families and, and has statistical data to back up his decision-making um, because understanding those families and those traits, those familial traits, helps you when you're making your decision-making on weanlings and, and, and whatnot. So um, that's the value that's the experience where whereas if you just go there and you're looking at an individual that's giving you part of the picture but knowing that background is very valuable yeah and that comes with experience and and the time i think it's underestimated people you know i had friends hit me up at the yearling sales he says i'm at the sales i'm looking at horses i'm going to buy one these people wouldn't have looked at a horse apart from being at the races during cup week but they get that idea because the industry is open and accessible that they can go and do it but you wouldn't probably go and buy a house without engaging somebody to go and do your tests and everything else. Look at the look at the soil, look at everything around it before you make that sort of investment. So, it brings us back to why using agents, particularly from FBAA, is so important because you guys are out there. You're doing the time and you've got the experience. Totally agree. This is the plug, is it? Um, Absolutely. We've got to w- plug w- it somewhere, w- don't we? We've got to make sure people are listening com. and ringing you up, Damon. Exactly. <laughs> we live and breathe it. This is our whole life. It's our industry. It's our profession. You know, lucky enough, it's our hobbies as well. Um, But we live and breathe it and spend hours upon hours looking at statistics and pedigrees and race results to be in touch and on top of things. So very important to have that information and knowledge when making decisions or helping to make a good decision. And I think one of the the biggest mistakes that people make, and you alluded to it earlier, Mick, was um, overcapitalizing. It's just such an easy thing to do because of, 
people get swept away by the marketing and the advertising and the constant um, you know messaging that's there. Um, and I, and, I, and I do feel that engaging someone that's got experience that can see through that a little bit, probably have access to a little bit more information, look at broader aspects at play, like the you know the um, um, what what horses are coming through for those stallions, you know what mare books, the quality of mare books that have been covered, all of these different factors that can affect um, the value. Um, that's to me really important, and that's where um, I guess using a an FBAA agent is, is, is really vital. Now, we've spoken a lot about value and finding value and whatnot. I'm going to put you two on the spot. We've got a couple of the big broodmare sales coming up, English chairmans and the Australian broodmare sale, and then flowing into uh, Magic Means National sales series and the broodmare sale up there. Some of the big race fillies and mares coming off the track and also being traded you know, in foal and whatnot will be going through those auction houses in coming weeks. What I'm going to do, I'm going to throw two names at you from each of these sales, and I want you gentlemen... Now, don't look at each other and say, oh, I think it should be a million or whatever else. Oh, I agree. Come on, put, put your neck out a little bit. We'll test you out here on a couple. I've picked it... I hope you find these interesting and a little bit different, some of these. From the chairman's sale, I'm going to give you two names. Lock 27, In Her Time, who, funnily enough, was sold... Last year, wasn't she? And she's stealing our thunder, Shark. Back on the money, back on the market again. And lot forty-seven, Pippi, an Oakley Plate winner. Suman, I'll start with you. What do you think they realise in this market, twenty twenty-one, buoyant, strong, everybody's happy? What are we paying for in her time and Pippi? I think first of all, it's important to say this is not necessarily what Damon and I think these horses are worth for us, and what we would um, pay for these horses. It's really what um, the market will pay yeah, because there's, there's obviously different. Um, people within the market that you know have have the volume to be able to pay whatever they want f- yeah. for horses that they they want to obtain so um but looking at in her time she's quite an interesting mare because she's got what we would call a a, a fairly uncommercial uh pedigree she's um by time thief who was really a, a nondescript stallion uh but she clearly was a very elite performer and and a, and a fast mare and um Within her family, there's there's some some high quality sprinters and and um, she's got the ability to be bred to most stallions as well. So um, because she was sold for two million last year and then, and that's relatively um, close time frame, um, and she's been sent to the most commercial stallion in the country, um, you you would think that they would be seeking somewhere between you know two point seven to three million for that mare. Um, and I dare say that if they didn't achieve that, they would probably take her home and, and fall her down. Um, Pippi, um, for me, she's everything you would look for um, in a potential broodmare. Um, she was blindingly fast, um, which is what we want to see in all of our um, stallions and, and mares. Um, and she's an outcross, being by written tycoon. So again, she can she's got that flexibility to be bred uh, anywhere. So... I dare say she'd be in that same bracket, um, you know, for the for this year. I, I could see her making, um, you know, two and a half. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I dare say that's where where she probably will land. I'd probably be more conservative than Suman on Pippi. Um, she is a terrific race mare, outstanding speed. Agree with everything Suman says. Her pedigree is a little what I'd call average pedestrian, maybe. Um, but those elite runners, last year we could compare her with Booker, uh-huh. who won an Oakley Plate, and Booker, by a written tycoon again, probably a better pedigree than Pippi, 
she went through and made one point six million. So I would probably put Pippi in that more one and a half bracket. If she made two, that'd be a gangbusters sale, in my humble opinion. And reiterate what Suman said within her time, it comes down to the vendor there. She would owe them two and a half million, so mm. it would depends if they want to sell for what she owes them or take a profit. So and- I guess that's why she's interesting, and I think people will look at her and say, well, why are they putting her back on the market? Well, you know, these farms are also businesses, and if you can take a profit, yeah. take that off the table, and the opportunities there this year, potentially, with a strong market, why not try? Well, that farm also, um, that's their that's their biz- business model. They buy and sell and trade. Mm-hmm. They are in the stallion business, uh, is their main business, and but last year they bought... Um, the good Mayor Vidora privately off the track and put her in fold to Northern Hemisphere to, to Loop de Vega and then resold her through the Magic Millions last year for $2.5 So same reason. Why didn't they keep her? So that that's their business model. Buy, trade, sell. Magic Millions National Broodmare Sale. Melody Bell, the Kiwi champion, goes through there. Lot 510. And Bella Vella commands Group 1 winner. Lot 643. Damon, where where do they sit? Well, Melody Bell is seriously difficult to value. Like, what a superstar! Fourteen Group One wins in yeah. New, thirteen in New Zealand, one in Australia. Bit of an older mare, raced on um, last year. Sunlight made four point two million, three-time Group One winner, but Speed Australian Speed Newmarket Handicap as a three-year-old superstar. Is she worth Sunlight money? I don't know. She could be. I'd probably be more. Three million, in my humble mm. opinion, mm. but you don't get opportunities to buy a Melody Bell very often. No, and saying that there's only a few people who can afford to buy her, but she's a little bit like a collector's item, an art piece, <laughs> you know. Mm. And what about uh, Bella Vella? Well, she's probably in the Pippi money. I think her pedigree's yeah. better than Pippi's. Um, so you know, you could see her making one and a half to two million as well. I would have thought. Suman, your thoughts on those two? I think uh, Damon summed it up well. Um, when it comes to those um, mares like uh, Sunlight and Melody Bell, uh, it's 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 more like a collector's piece, and we've got certain um, organisations where they can just buy those horses, and so it just becomes like a, a competition between one or two um, different people as to who wants her. Um, so I, I would have thought um, around the three mark is her. Um, Bella Vella, um, I've seen her and she's, she's not a, not a, not a big know, stunning, horse, no, no, she's not. So I think that could be a bit of a, um, a slow on her. Um, but obviously the, you know, she's fast and she's, um, done the job on the track. So she'll be appealing to a number, but I just, I do wonder, um, how, how much that'll affect her, the, her physique. Well, people listening that will be active at those sales, if you need assistance, if you want uh, either of these gentlemen to, to look at your mares or what you're looking at uh, breeding in the upcoming season, you've got a good starting point. I don't know if everybody listening is <laughs> in that sort of bracket of the horses we just talked about, but it's uh, look, it's it's that good pub chat sort of banter, isn't it? Everyone will be looking at these horses from the wider racing industry, thinking, oh, what are they going to make? What are they going to make? Uh, I know a lot of my mates are already sort of thinking and, and, and having little conversations on WhatsApp and whatnot, trying to guess the prices, so... That's a nice sideline. Those big lots going towards those broodmare sales. I think valuing, I think valuing horses has never been more difficult than it is now. Like, if you want to make yourself look like a fool, um, <laughs> put a value on a horse because you, you, you'll be just so be so far off. Um, and and there were yearlings at Easter that 
because um, we, we value all of our horses that are shortlisted and even the ones that are not. And we look at them and we think, oh, my God, you know, this is going to – how has this made that money? Yeah. And then people probably thought the same about horses that we've bought. Um, and it's just it's, – it's really what you feel and what your group feel and, um, and how much conviction you've got and um, how, how strong you're willing to be. Suman, Damon, we've come to the end of episode three of the shortlist. Thanks for your time. I know you're very busy and we've got you in the week before you probably go up and start a lot of these inspections for the mayors and wins and whatnot. So thanks very much for your generosity of time. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Thanks, Mick. Thank you, Shark. You've uh, fulfilled a lifelong dream to appear on a radio (laughs) broadcast with you. So thanks for doing that. Some people have high, lofty (laughs) ambitions and some more modest. (laughs) And to those listening, thanks very much for listening to the shortlist episode three. Stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.